Good morning. We are glad that you're here. We're always grateful for the opportunity that we have to be together, to worship God, to enjoy fellowship with one another. We're going to be looking in our study today at Mark, the 16th chapter, verses 1 through 7, as we think about the theme, the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Christ is extremely important to the Christian system. As a matter of fact, if the resurrection of Christ is not true, then the bottom line is this. We might as well pack up and go home. Someone has said in days gone by that the whole Christian religion stands or falls on the basis of the resurrection of Jesus. And so we're going to look at Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 7, and we're going to note what Mark has to say about the resurrected Christ. The first thing that I want to call your attention to in our study today has to do with the proclamation about Jesus. The thrust of this point is borne out in the words of the angel of God who said in, an, in a very emphatic way, speaking of Christ, he is risen. And so I want us to think about that announcement to the visitors to the tomb of Jesus and we're going to look at the visitors to his tomb following his death and burial. Picking up in verse 1, here's what Mark says. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Here were some women that had been very close to Jesus and they wanted to visit his tomb. Upon coming to the tomb, they were met with the profound statement that Jesus of Nazareth, the one that they had come to see, that he was risen from the dead, that he had risen from the dead there are a couple of things that stand out in my mind as they relate to their visit to the tomb. And really what stands out to me is the fact that this was a verification that Jesus was indeed deity. Think again about what was said. He's not here. He is risen from the dead. As you and I contemplate these words, I want to call your attention to what Paul said in Romans chapter 1 at verse 4. The Bible says that Jesus Christ was declared to be the Son of God with power by the Spirit of holiness according to the resurrection from the dead. 
When Jesus Christ was resurrected, that in effect validated the fact. It did validate that he was who he claimed to be, that being the son of the living God. At some point in time, you and I, we have to decide who was Jesus. We have to come to terms with who we believe Jesus really was. There are a lot of people that have a lot of suggestions as to who Jesus was. Back in Matthew chapter 16, we find Jesus asking the question to his disciples. Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, look, some are saying that you're John the Baptist. Some are saying that you are Elijah. Others are saying that you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But Jesus then asked this question, who do you say that I am? And you and I, we have to answer that question at some point in time. What do we believe about Jesus? Who was he? Who is he? Was he who he claimed to be? Would we be like Peter and simply say that he is the Christ, the son of the living God? Would we be like that Roman centurion following the death of Jesus on Calvary who cried out, truly this man was the son of God. Or would we simply say Jesus was nothing more than a great preacher, teacher, social reformer? Was he just some great philosopher? Well, when we look at the resurrection, the resurrection validates, and it validated to these visitors to the tomb, that Jesus was who he claimed to be. There's also a second thing, and that is it validates the Christian system. We talk about the importance of Christianity. What does Christianity mean to us? What does, it, what does it mean to me? Christianity is a very personal thing. We have to decide what we think about Jesus. Who was he? Those are questions that we must answer. But we talk about the Christian religion. What is it that sets the Christian religion apart from other religions? One of the things that sets Christianity apart from any other religion is that Jesus Christ came forth from the grave. I said just a moment ago that if the Christian religion, if Christianity is not what it purports to be and it centers around the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, then we might as well pack up and go home. When you read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the apostle Paul sets forth the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And the basis for our resurrection from the dead at some future time in history hinges on this fact. That is that Jesus came forth from the grave just as the writers indicate in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, what about, what about the resurrection of Christ? The apostle Paul said, look, if, if Jesus Christ has not been resurrected from the grave, he said, number one, our preaching, it's vain. Number two, he said, our faith, it's vain. Number three, we are still in sin. And then number four, he said, if in this life we only have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. All Paul was saying is that if Jesus Christ was not resurrected from the grave, then Christianity falls to the ground. But we know 
that he was raised from the dead. So first, the proclamation about Jesus, but then secondly, the manifestation of Jesus. Look now at verse 7. In verse 7, here's what this angelic being said to these ladies. But go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee and then note the thrust of this point. There you will see him. The assurance given to these, these women, they would see the resurrected Lord. They would have the opportunity to see visibly Jesus Christ, the one that had been crucified on Calvary just outside the walls of Jerusalem. And now, as this angel had said in the long ago, they will see the resurrected Christ. There are some things that we need to see in connection with this. First, there were some prophecies given about the resurrection of Christ. This wasn't something that just occurred out of nowhere. Many, many years earlier, the psalmist had said, speaking of the resurrection of Christ in Psalm 16, verse 10, he said, you will not, see, you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor shall your Holy One see corruption. The psalmist there, foretelling of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And by the way, the Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 2, when he preaches the first gospel sermon and talks about how the Jews had been responsible for having Christ crucified, he quotes this verse from Psalm 16, verse 10. During the earthly ministry of Jesus, he talked about his own resurrection. In John chapter 2, Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. He wasn't talking about the physical temple that was in Jerusalem. He was talking about the temple of his body. In Matthew chapter 16, in the context of Jesus affirming that he would build the church based on the statement made by Peter that he was the son of the living God. Matthew tells us from that time, Jesus began to tell his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and raised on the third day. Jesus himself prophetically spoke of his resurrection. Now, what about the proof of the resurrection? Is it not the case that we need proof? That we need to be able to substantiate the claims of the resurrected Christ? Well, there are a number of passages that allude to the resurrected Christ. In Acts chapter 1, the Bible tells us that Jesus presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days speaking things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Luke, the inspired historian, is telling people of all ages that the apostles had the opportunity to see firsthand Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. Now, when we talk about the resurrected Christ, we look again at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and again, Paul there validating the resurrection of Jesus, he identifies some of those who saw the resurrected Christ. 
He said he was seen first by Cephas and then by the 12. Do you remember Thomas as recorded in John chapter 20? Thomas is often called Doubting Thomas because he was not present when Jesus first appeared to the apostles. And he openly stated that unless he could see the print of the nails in the hands of Jesus and examine his side that had been pierced by a spear, that he would not believe. Well, Jesus came some eight days later, presented himself to Thomas. He told Thomas to examine his hands, to look at his side, and here's what Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Thomas had the opportunity to examine the evidence. Now, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that Jesus was also seen by some 500 people at one time. And then Paul says he was seen last of all by him. And so there were a number of eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. But then I want you to think in the third place about the preaching of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this really helps to validate the resurrection story for me. Because when I look back to the book of Acts, for example, I see men that were willing to lay down their lives for the resurrected Christ. They believed that Jesus broke the bonds of death, that he came forth from the tomb on the third day. They believed it so much they were willing to die for that message. Now we talk about the preaching of the resurrection of Christ. If you look at the first few chapters of the book of Acts, you'll see that emphasis is placed on the resurrection. I said just a moment ago that in Acts chapter 2, Peter quotes Psalm 1610, citing the fact that the psalmist of old foretold of the resurrection. In verse 32 of Acts chapter 2, Peter tells those people that were assembled on Pentecost Day, look, this Jesus whom you crucified, God raised him from the dead. And then he goes on to say, of whom we are all witnesses. They believed in the resurrected Christ. In chapter 3, verse 15, he talks about the prince of life whom they had put to death. That is, the Jewish leaders that had him put to death. Now, they did it by the Romans, by their hands, but they were responsible for the death of Jesus. He said, you had the prince of life put to death. But he goes on to say, whom God raised from the dead. And then he says, by which what? We are witnesses. Here were men again Witnessing what? They were lending testimony to the fact that this Jesus that had been put to death had been placed in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea had come forth three days later. And so they said, God raised him from the dead and we are witnesses to this fact. In chapter four, the Bible tells us that with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them. Over and over and over again, what were these men doing? They were validating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They were saying that Jesus of Nazareth, that he has risen from the dead. Now, you go back and you look at Mark chapter 16. You think about the statement made by the angel. You're seeking Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. Luke in his account said, why do you seek the living among the dead? 
Jesus Christ came forth from the grave. Many, many people had the opportunity to observe the resurrected Christ. There's a third thing I want, you to, I want you to see in our lesson text. And this has to do with the confirmation by Jesus. Look again at verse 7. In verse 7, here's what the angel said. Go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now listen. As he said to you. That's the key to this third point. As he said to you. Can we believe what Jesus has said in days gone by? Is he reliable? Is he trustworthy? Do you believe what Jesus has said? Think about this. Go back again and look at Matthew 16, 21, where Matthew tells us that Jesus began to tell his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things of the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be put to death, and raised again the third day. Was that true? Did he speak the truth? When he began telling them, look, I'm going to rise from the dead. In John chapter 2, when John records for us, Jesus saying, destroy this temple, that is, destroy my body. In three days, what will I do? I'll raise it up. Was Jesus speaking the truth? If you and I cannot trust what Jesus said about his resurrection, we can't trust anything he said. Now, the Bible tells us that Jesus manifested the characteristics of deity. He is deity. He is the second member of the Godhead. And he, like God the Father, cannot lie. So whatever he says, it's true. We can believe it. We can bank on it. We can go to bed at night. We can, we can lay down. Or we can lie down at night trusting in the fact that all of the promises contained in Scripture are true. So having said that, let me just offer some things that you and I can trust Jesus in. Number one, I would suggest that what Jesus has said about being the Savior of the world is true. You just think about that for a minute. What the Lord has said about being the Savior of the world, it's true. It's not a fable. It's not fiction. This isn't some fairy tale. This is truth. Jesus in John 14 verse 6 said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. All Jesus is saying there is this. I am the only source of salvation. I am the exclusive way. I am the exclusive truth. I am the exclusive life. You want to enjoy a relationship with God the Father? Then you have to go through me. Luke said, neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus is the source of our salvation. So whatever he has said about being our Savior, it's true. Jesus has the ability to save us. We have to turn to him, but he has that ability. Now, whatever Jesus has said about entering the kingdom, it's true. Does Jesus tell us how to enjoy a relationship with him? Absolutely. In John chapter 3, you remember Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. He said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs which you're doing unless God is with him. The signs, the miracles that Jesus performed, what did they do? They validated his claims. 
What claims? That he was who he claimed to be, the son of God. The miracles confirmed his word. Well, in that context, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In verse 5, he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. The Lord is simply saying that if you and I want to enjoy a relationship with the Father, we have to be baptized into Christ. Do we have to believe in him? Well, of course we do. The Lord said, except you believe that I am he, you'll die in your sins, John 8, 24. Belief precedes repentance. You have to believe in Christ. You have to repent of your sins. Peter acknowledged that much on Pentecost Day. In Acts 2, 38, when they cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, repent and then be baptized. Why? For the remission of your sins. That is, so your sins might be washed away. Whatever Jesus has said about being the Savior of the world, it's true. Whatever he has said about entering the kingdom of God, it's true. Why be a member of the kingdom of God? Why be baptized into Christ? The Bible says when we're baptized into Christ, we're baptized into the one body, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. The significance of being in the body is Christ is the Savior of the body. Let me also say this. Whatever Jesus has said about life and death, it's true. Jesus has promised us life beyond the grave. In John chapter 11, when Jesus went to comfort Mary and Martha and ultimately raised their brother from the dead, you remember they came to Jesus and they said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Martha said that to Jesus, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Do you believe this? What Jesus said about that, was it true? Did you know that John the Apostle said that one day Jesus is going to literally empty the cemeteries? Every grave will be opened. Who made that promise? Jesus did. In John chapter 5, Jesus said, The hour is coming when all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and come forth. That's what the Lord said. And then finally, what Jesus has said about heaven, it's true. Now we talk about heaven. I would imagine that all of us who are here today, we want to go to heaven. We want to enjoy the blessings of being with our friends, our family members who have gone before, who have gone before us. We want to be in a place that is exempt from pain and suffering, death. Well, where is that place? What is that place? It's heaven. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Now listen to him. Believe also in me. Can you believe what Jesus has said about heaven? Jesus said, if you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Do you believe that? Every time you and I go to a funeral service, we come face to face with life and death and eternity. I believe what Jesus said. Now, Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1 that we have a living hope and the basis for that living hope is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It is on that basis that we have what is called heaven before us. We have before us that which is called, 
well, which is said to be incorruptible. It is undefiled. And Peter said, it is reserved in heaven for you. Do you believe that? I believe it. The resurrection of Jesus, is it true? Absolutely. The significance of the resurrection of Jesus to us? Well, Paul said in Romans chapter 4, verse 25, Jesus was delivered for our offenses. He was raised again for our justification. When Jesus came forth from the grave, he delivered the devil a death blow. He destroyed him who has the power of death, that is the devil. And so one day, unless the Lord comes first, you and I, we're going to walk the quarters of death. We're going to face the sting of death, as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15. But we have the assurance of the resurrection. And the resurrection of our, of our body is based on the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. Maybe you're here today, you're not a Christian. Could we encourage you to come to Christ, to believe that he is the Son of God, to do as they did on Pentecost Day, to be baptized into Christ so that every sin might be washed away, Acts 22, 16. If you're here today, maybe you're not faithful to the cause of Christ. Maybe your life is not headed in the direction that you know it ought to be headed. Maybe you're not on the road to heaven. What we want to do is encourage you to come home to God, to do as the prodigal did in the long ago, to come to yourself, to arise and to simply say, I've sinned, just like the prodigal son did in Luke 15. The promise is that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Would you come as we stand and sing?